from the New Media Project at the NYU School of Medicine and the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, there's safety in numbers. I'm not sure if I would say to do more surgery. I don't know if by increasing the number of surgeries that a surgeon does, decreases their adverse event rate. It it might be an inherent thing about that surgeon. But I do know that uh, it's hard to improve if you don't know where you are. First this, the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education requires a financial interest disclosure before any CME activity. Dr. Bell declares no real or apparent conflicts of interest. As seen from here, the first podcast for physicians, the first podcast to offer CME credit, and the first to offer multinational editions is now co-sponsored by the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. The ASCRS recognizes the power of this new medium in communication and education of physicians everywhere. This partnership will allow us to bring new content to you and add new voices to our community. From Manhattan to Mumbai, from the Bay Area to Beijing, one conversation as seen from here. As Garrison Keillor tells it, in Lake Wobegon, all the children are above average. Pretty funny, until you realize that we cataract surgeons think of ourselves in the same way. I've never met a below-average cataract surgeon. Come to think of it, I've never met an average cataract surgeon. But truth will out, and Chaim Bell has outed it. The fact is, there is one trait that does seem to correlate strongly with cataract complication rate, and most of us aren't going to like it. To tell us about it, I have Dr. Bell with me today. Is there any evidence outside of ophthalmology that higher-volume surgeons have fewer complications? Uh, Yeah, in... um a lot of different surgical specialties, there's evidence of a volume outcomes relationship, and there have been um, many uh, meta-analyses on these. Uh, for instance, uh, in general surgery, they look at uh, Whipple operations, and uh, it shows that people that do more Whipple operations, for instance, have, better, uh, have lower complication rates, better outcomes. Uh, thoracotomy is another one. There is other... Uh, uh, cabbage surgery is a, is a third one, but really it, it spans, you'd be hard-pressed to find a surgical specialty where there isn't a volume outcomes relationship where one wasn't seen. Uh, it's also seen in, uh, it's also seen as well in uh, people with HIV treatment, HIV doctors. Uh, they look at their patients from the volume outcomes relationship. There's recently been one also with uh, people looking after TB, tuberculosis patients. So it, it's seen in both surgical specialties as well as medical specialties. Can I have you describe the design of this study? So what this study did was we took a uh, administrative database for the entire province of Ontario. Uh, the specific thing is, in Ontario is that uh, we have universal health care. Uh, and that billing outside of the universal health care is not allowed. So anybody who had a cataract surgery in the province of Ontario was captured in this database. So it's population-based and it's complete. What we looked at was uh, we grouped all patients within the surgeon to which they were 
to, to who did the surgery, who did who performed the surgery, and we grouped those surgeons uh, according to their yearly um, cataract surgery volumes. So any surgeons that performed less than 50 in a year, which is actually one of the larger, for any other surgical specialties, that's still a lot, but we decided that that would be a, a low-volume cataract surgeon, and we didn't include them at all. And in that way, we only um, excluded we excluded less than 5% of all surgeries performed in the province. So we're looking again at 95% of all the surgeries performed by excluding just the very low-volume surgeons. We then, um, so we've grouped the uh, surgeons into categories according to their yearly volume. The referent category was 50 to 250, and then we looked at other categories of 250 to 500 cataract surgeries in a year, 500 to 1,000 cataract surgeries in a year, and 1,000 plus. We did this over a three-year basis. This is their yearly average. And what we then did was for each patient, we looked to see whether or not they had a complication within the 14 days following their cataract surgery. The complications would include either a lost lens or lens fragment um, or things related to endophthalmitis. You determine the complications by looking at diagnostic codes. Absolutely, diagnostic codes. Yeah, this is not a clinical database at all. So firstly, all the, we were blinded to the patients as well as we were blinded to the individual surgeons. So we only have identifier numbers, which, were, which uh, have been scrambled, so they're non-identified. But this is all based upon the, the codes, the uh, administrative code, procedure codes, which, which would um, signify these uh, interventions. Once more, what constituted a complication for the purpose of this study? Um, so, for instance, it would be an injection or a, uh, uh, an injection of antibiotic or, or even a sampling uh, with a needle for uh, culture. Uh, for the eye, or uh, an actual surgery, which would denote either a um, endophthalmitis or treatment for endophthalmitis, or um, procedures for lost lens or lens fragment, based upon the diagnostic codes. So these are basically surrogate markers for the complications. Absolutely, there are, there are surrogate markers for those for those specific outcomes. Uh, as well, we didn't. What we didn't measure was the clinical outcome of, of visual function or visual health. Sure, because those are things that are not captured by diagnostic coding. Exactly. So basically, what you did is you looked at surgeons with three different surgical volumes. Uh, the first group was surgeons who did 50 to 250 cases per year. The next group, which is 250 to, what did you say it was again? 250 to 500. 250 to 500. And the next group was 500 to 1,000. And you excluded those patients uh, who had had surgery by surgeons who did more than 1,000 cases per year because you felt that the data from those surgeons would identify the, the individual surgeons, which is something that you did not want to do in, in, in the study. We actually included those in the analysis, but in the, um, in the figure that we published, we, we truncated it specifically at that. We still included that, the group um, 1,000 plus, 
to give an actual combined odds ratio, but we didn't we didn't uh, show those individual points where you could actually see the surgeon who'd done 1,100 and what their specific uh, complication rate was. You captured 95% of all cataract surgeries. Right, probably 95 plus, yeah. How large was the study population? How many people had cataract surgery? Uh, the, the cataract surgery, we looked at, uh, it was about 100,000 per year. So in total, it was, uh, it was, a, it was probably about 275,000 uh, over the three-year period. Chaim, can you tell me what your findings were? So again, and, and the re- part of the reason some people might say, why did you, uh, why did you use that those uh, arbitrary cutoffs? We sort of looked at it as 50 to 250 would be doing one to five per week, which is as an average. And we thought, uh, and based upon previous literature, which looked at about two about 500 or 400 as a cutoff, and then we went up from there. What we found was. Um, we found that uh, patients using the referent category as the uh, 50 to 250, what we found was that patients that had surgeons operating on them with higher volumes had significantly lower rates of complication. And that this continued and did not plateau as the surgical uh, annual surgical volume increased. to the extent that when you got to uh, a level of a uh, thousand plus, the odds ratio for an outcome, a poor outcome, was 0.1, which means that it's uh, approximately 90% less than um, than the referent category. So if you were a patient who were operated on by a surgeon with uh, with over a thousand uh, surgery cataract surgeries per year your risk of an outcome after adjusting for age and gender is approximately 10% of the risk of somebody being operated on by a surgeon with 250 to 500 per year. Have there been previous studies that looked at complication rate as a function of surgeon volume for cataract surgery? Uh, there, there have been a few. Um, and uh, there's one that was done in the United States called the PORT study. And that uh, study uh, looked at uh, quite a few surgeons, uh, I believe 75 or so surgeons. Um, They were uh, not consecutive cases, and it certainly wasn't on a population-wide basis, and it it studied less than 800 surgeries. They found a a different complication rate, but again, it wasn't wasn't population-based, nor was it to the same extent as well. It was a a historic... uh, Different historically because it was at the it was at the juncture between when newer phacal emulsification surgery was being introduced and the older techniques were also being done. Whereas ours is really in the in the modern era of cataract surgery. When you looked at complications, were there particular complications that were more common to low volume surgeons? It's a good question. We looked at it separately, and what we found was. Um, we separated for lost lens lead fragment compared to endophthalmitis, for instance. Or so these are both suspect endophthalmitis and 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 our um, our surrogate marker of lost lens lead fragment. And the effect persisted in both in both situations, so that it wasn't just that um, it was one or another. It seemed to be everything. And when you combine, so there wasn't really much of a difference. In a sense, the effect persisted 
when we um, separated out the uh, the combined endpoint. So regardless of the complication, the surgeons who did a larger surgical volume had a lower complication frequency for that complication. Yes. What did you do with data from teaching centers in which the surgeon of record may be different from the resident performing the case? That's a, that's a very good point. Um, we didn't. What we didn't do was uh, capture residents. Uh, what we the, what we did do is in our analysis we um, adjusted for clustering of patients within areas within surgeons, and, um, but uh, we couldn't. We were unable to. Uh, to properly ascribe uh, complications or successful surgeries to residents. However, in the province, most of the care in the province, about 80% of the care is, is, is provided outside of teaching centers. Certainly one plausible explanation is that high-volume cataract surgeons are more skilled, but could it not be just as easily the case that surgical volume is a marker for something else? For example, I would guess that high-volume cataract surgeons are more likely to operate in a dedicated eye surgery center with a staff well-versed in eye surgery. So you're, you're, you're asking two things. One is um, practice makes perfect mm-hmm. is, what, is one of the things. And does that happen? That probably does happen. Uh, that practice indeed does does make perfect, and then your, the th- second thing is that we're selecting out places of of um, centers of excellence or specialization, and that would be the case. Uh, we don't have that many dedicated eye centers in the province. Most of these are done in general hospitals, so that if they are done, they might be in a dedicated OR, uh, but there are few centers of excellence, so to speak, or or, uh, centers of specific eye care uh, in the province. Um, We looked at over, we looked at well over 200 different surgeons at uh, more than 70 facilities, I believe. So that would be the effect if we were looking at a dichotomous high-low type variable. But it seemed to persist through all the four uh, areas that we we that we uh, examined, so that it, it's not just the clinical expertise that surrounds the surgeon. So it's not just the nursing staff or the 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 special types of hygiene and efficiency, but it that probably com- plays a component. But it, it seems that it's uh, it uh, is also the effect of uh, surgeon experience and um, and volume. There might also be a selection bias, of course, is what some other people may say, um, that the pay- people that are better seem to do more of it, and uh, it sort of feeds that, that he has more of a, an expertise, and that naturally people who don't like it or don't feel they're as good don't seem to do as much. Now, Chaim, from a health policy standpoint, what do you make of, of these findings? Should cataract surgery be restricted to high-volume surgeons? Well, that's a that's a good question. I mean, this this is a it's a very complicated and complex question. I'll first bring it about historically where some of the uh, the volume outcomes things have played out and what and what's happened. But I think this is a little bit of a different story. In some of the other areas, for instance, um, in Whipple surgery, they've said and that since that data came out, many smaller centers. And ones um, that are that don't have some of the 
intensive care unit or other support that might be used for uh, a complicated surgery like uh, like that, um, they have uh, not been doing it anymore. And that's been some of the push from uh, some of the quality improvement areas like the LeapFrog initiative. Uh, in this situation, we're not necessarily the, – the first thing to take home is that the overall rate of complications is less than 1%. And the actual complication is not uh, – we're, we're not looking at something akin to death. In, in, the to, in totality, you, even people who have some of these complications, most still wind up with a very good visual outcome. So the idea is that even though these are adverse effects, these aren't necessarily, these aren't really life-threatening, and, and even after everything, they probably have a good outcome. Having said that, these are still not things that patients would want to have. However, the, the rates of surgery are far exceed any of the other volume outcomes uh, studies that they've looked at, meaning that usually you would, you, know, you would never exclude somebody who had 49 surgeries in a year, who did perform 49 surgeries in a year. That wouldn't be included as a low-volume surgeon in most other surgeries. Here, these are you know, people who do quite a lot of these surgeries, and um, even though they, uh, the overall rate is low, the, the rate, the, um, the absolute rate varied from a uh, varied from 0.4% per year, um, a rate of adverse outcome of 0.4% per year to a rate of 0.1%. Uh, so about a quarter of the rate was seen in the very high outcome. So it, it does suggest that you might want to look at improving or increasing the numbers of surgeries, but it, it goes beyond just the, the individual surgeon. It goes, it, it goes towards a center or, or, um, and that there might be places to learn from why those high-volume centers are doing well. You, you've answered this sort of from a, a patient standpoint that if I'm someone having cataract surgery, that I, I'm, I'm better off seeking out a uh, cataract surgeon who does a, a very high volume because I'm, I'm less likely to have a complication. On, on, av on, on average. average. Yeah, I understand that. And I understand, too, that you made the point that even in the, quote, high complication rate group, close quote, that, that, that the complication rate is still very, very low. But from a surgeon's standpoint, from a cataract surgeon's standpoint, short of trying to do a lot more cataract surgery, what should I, what should I do? What should you do? So the first thing I think that an individual surgeon should do should be to know what their individual complication rate is. And, and that's, that's sometimes easier said than done. But from any quality improvement perspective, it's hard for you to change if you don't know it's probably easy for them to figure out what their volume of surgery is per year, but it's not as easy to figure out what their complication rate is. Bad outcomes always loom larger, but it's hard to tell what their complicate what hard to determine what your own complication unless you are pretty meticulous about capturing everything. And even in that situation, you're not exactly sure if they've gone somewhere else or if they just don't even want to come back to you. It's hard to tell if you haven't heard, but you can, you can definitely try in those situations to, to determine what your own individual adverse event so that rate is, so that when a patient asks you, you know, one after you're a high-volume surgeon, but you can also say, it, it's a, in a sense, it's irrelevant whether you're a high-volume surgeon or not. 
what's most relevant is what your individual complication rate is. So that's, that's the first thing I would do as a surgeon. The only way to improve is to find out what, what you are at and then know where to improve. So where you are and then where your peers are, specifically your peers at your institution and then, um, and then representative institutions. The second thing is, and it might, this of course might be different for uh, those that are in teaching hospitals or that where residents are doing cases as compared to um, community surgeons, but um, you should know your own, you should know your own um, surgical adverse event rate and compare it to people in your center and then maybe find out why it's different. Ask, you know, assuming that all the nursing staff is the same, just at your institution, what is different about it? Am I doing something different? Am I preparing people different just to find out? So that, that's sort of the quality improvement process that I would encourage. I'm not sure if I would say to do more surgery. Uh, I'm not sure. We, what we, this is an observational trial. This isn't necessarily an intervention trial. I don't know if by increasing the number of surgeons, surgeries that a surgeon does, decreases their adverse event rate. I'm not sure of that. It, it might be an inherent thing about that surgeon. So I don't know about the intervention, but I do know that uh, it's hard to improve if you don't know where you are. Chaim, is there anything that you'd like to add? But uh, I, yeah, the academic for sure is one thing that particularly academics always talk about and everybody blames their residents. <laughs> but uh, but um, yeah, that's a that, you know that's a hard thing. That's a hard thing to overcome. Um, but what we um, what we did was we looked at at some of the idea that not all patients are the same, so that patients from one surgeon are different than patients from another surgeon. So that that we when we did the um, statistical analysis, we we uh, tried to account for that clustering. And what did you find there? Oh, it just it just over. We just uh, we just adjusted for those the clusters. That's what we can we could focus on the surgeons. Besides which, from my standpoint, it's not really plausible that patients who uh, know that they're going to have a, a more complicated cataract surgery are going to intentionally seek out a cataract surgeon who does a lower volume. Right, but right, but some surgeons. I mean, and this might be one of the things that uh, people say is that the high volume surgeons are cherry picking people or that people say, you know, you're, you're going to take too long, you're a harder case, don't go to me, go to the academic person down the block, so to speak. It might not be the selection, individual selection by the patients, which is a good point, but it might be that people are, are refused or sent to somebody else. And how do you deal with that? How do we try and account for that is just from, um, some of the analysis of confounding um, by clustering. It's bit, it was uh, generalized estimating equations look at the uh, clustering of patients within surgeons. It's, it's akin to sort of educational studies where the students are clustered within teachers within schools so that the, in any given class that you shouldn't count the, two, the relationship between two students on a test, for instance. Students in the same school in the same class are not exactly independent as compared to students in another class in another school because the two students in the same class are clustered with the teacher. They learn from that teacher uh, in that sense. That's, the, that's the, the background of sort of the, that's a way of thinking of the clustering, uh, looking at clustering of patients in that way.
so it's your sense that looking at the data that it's probably not plausible that cherry picking plays a large role in in your findings. It it, it might play a, some part, some of a part, but these are these are effects that are that are quite large. You know, it's an odds ratio going from 0.52 for 251 to 500 to um, 0.31 for 500 to 1,000 to 0.14. To greater than a thousand. That those are those are quite large uh, decrements. Chaim Bell, thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Chaim Bell is assistant professor of medicine and health policy management and evaluation at the University of Toronto at Saint Michael's Hospital in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. His paper, Surgeon Volumes and Selected Patient Outcomes in Cataract Surgery: A Population-Based Analysis appears in the March 2007 issue of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Bell or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Call our listener response lines in the United States style area code 646-808-0231. In the United Kingdom dial, 020-7558-8275, or Skype, JYoungMD. Those numbers can be found on our website, asseenfromhere.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the new media project of the NYU School of Medicine and the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, and is edited by Joe Fry. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young. I'm 